I'm tired. It's been a long week. Um, it's felt like a dark week. This past year has been a long year. It has been a lonely year. It has felt like a very dark year. When the stay-at-home order started in March, I remember it was like early on in one of our staff meetings online, and I remember just, just crying because I had this thought of not if, but when, you know, the virus starts to hit our home because my husband works in a hospital, and, and just all these fears and these worries and this panic that just hit my heart, just imagining worst-case scenario all around. And I wish I could tell you that I am not normally a fearful person. I wish I could tell you that that panic and those worrisome thoughts is a new thing that the pandemic created, but I can't. That worry, the, the fear, the anxiety, all those things is actually darkness that's hidden underneath this smiling exterior. That what happened in this past year, it's not that it created new fear in me, it didn't create these worrisome thoughts, it didn't create this initial reaction to immediately think of the worst case scenario, but it simply brought out what was already there. And isn't that what this past year was? That I remember early on, it was March, and I remember going to one of my local grocery stores right here on Route 1, and um, have you ever had to cough, but you were afraid to do it, and so you just held it in, and it felt like your whole body was imploding? I remember doing that right here in a grocery store in my own town because I was afraid to cough in public. As an Asian-American woman, I was afraid that someone would see me coughing and distrust me. And so that distrust was contagious, I caught it, and even now I confess that when I go to that same store, and it's not a new store, it's right here in my town, when I go to that same store, I look around and I see, is that person wearing a mask? How are they wearing a mask? You know, we scroll through social media and we're checking to see how people are living their lives right now. Are they social distancing? Are they not social distancing? Is that church open? Is that church closed? How could they have made this decision? This distrust that, is it new or is it simply coming to the surface? And then this past year, headline after headline after headline of another black American kilt. And the bizarre reality that they have to make time to try and tell you, yes, that racism still exists. Now, is the racism a new thing? Or is it something that simply came to the surface? And then, election year. We finally get to election day, and then days of holding our breath, days of waiting, days of accusing the other side, days of mocking someone in the other camp, days of hating on the other party, days of hatred. Is that new? Or did that just come to the surface? And then this past week, 
I, I, I'm not concerned about what political party you're on, if you're left or right, or if you're in the middle or independent, or whatever it may be. At the end of the day, we have filled our hearts with so much hatred and accusation towards the other side. And I could sit up here and I could go on and on about why I think my values are absolutely right, why I think the other values are absolutely wrong, and I would simply be adding to the violence that have happened in our country. This is not who we're supposed to be. But is it new, or has it just come to the surface? It has felt like a very dark year. It has felt like there's a lot of darkness all around. But I would argue that the darkness isn't new, it's simply been hiding. And I will confess that ever since I was a little child, I've had a fear of the dark. Yes, I'm a grown woman, and I confess that, that in the darkness, what is, seems to be beyond our control, the darkness where it seems like we cannot see things, where we're not able to perceive exactly what's going on, we fill those gaps, those shapes, those sounds with the worst case possibilities, our biggest fears. And we allow ourselves to be bullied by the possibilities of what if, these what if possibilities that are most likely not even going to be our reality. And so I learned at an early age a very simple, yet a very profound truth that shapes so much of my theology, so much about my belief in God in a higher power in the Holy of Holies, and that simple truth is this. When it is dark, turn on the light. It's as simple as that. When it is dark, turn on the light. Because when I was a four-year-old girl and I had a bad dream, or I saw the curtain shaped in a weird way and I imagined it to be something spooky, I would run over to the wall, I'd turn on the switch, and what would happen? Light would fill the entire room. Darkness would flee from light. Darkness never, ever overcomes the light. Ever, 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 ever. Because the truth is, is that darkness is simply the absence of light. And so darkness can never overcome. And so when it is dark, turn on the light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The first line from Psalm 27, which is what I want to read this morning. Psalm 27 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in a shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. 
O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now, most of Psalm, the book of Psalms, is uh, written, we believe, by David. And let me ask you a question. When you hear the name David in Scripture, what is the first image you think of? Because David had a lot of different roles, and he had a lot of different hats, and, and a lot of different seasons. He was a shepherd. He was a musician. He was a fighter, a warrior, a leader, a king. And he wore all these different hats, and he had so many different seasons I would imagine lots of seasons that felt very dark. Seasons of unknowing what's going to happen next, what's going to come next. And this psalm that says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, we believe that this is probably the first time in scripture that God is referred to as the light. First of many times, Jesus, later, I am the light of the world. Whoever comes to me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Later, Revelation that the new Jerusalem, the new city, will have no need for a sun and a moon because the glory of God will be the light, the Lamb is the light. So this is first of many times when God is referred to as the light. So when it is dark, turn the light on. And so David goes on and he says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This most likely was written when David was fleeing from Saul. David, in one moment of his life, he's out in the pasture taking care of sheep, writing music. Next, he's out on the battlefield knocking down a giant. Next, he's next to the king, the leader of his nation, playing wonderful music for him. Suddenly, he's a fugitive on the run from his very own home and nation that had just previously anointed him king. And the very leader that he loved and served was now trying to kill him. And then just like that, he is now the king. So many ups and downs, valleys, highs, ups, lows. And so in this season when he is most likely running away from Saul... Of all the different hats he's worn, of all the different things he's gone through, I would imagine he'd probably ask for a couple different things from God. Uh, Protect me, vindicate me, reunite me with my wife, my family. Hey, God, you said I was going to be king. Can you make that happen? No. The one thing he asks of God is to dwell in his house and to gaze upon his beauty. This is a man who has seen at least a glimpse of the beauty of God. Have you ever seen something so beautiful, so captivating, so mesmerizing that all you can do is sit and just want more and more and more? And that is what we're getting a glimpse of here. Years ago, I remember it was on my honeymoon, me and my husband, we uh, were in Hawaii and there's this like secret trail. And it's not really a secret, but it's hidden. It's hidden between a couple homes. And if you didn't know to look for it, you wouldn't find it. And there's this little 
hidden trail, and then when you go into it and you follow the trail, all of a sudden it opens up and it just cliffs everywhere and ocean as far as you could possibly see. And at the bottom of the cliffs are these caves and the way that the water splashes against the caves, it shoots it out and the water is so clear that we saw like maybe a mile out and you could see the perfect shape of a giant turtle and all of its features because it was just so beautiful. And I remember losing myself in that moment and just being lost and just, I didn't want to leave that place. I just wanted to stay there and just keep gazing on it and dwelling on it and looking at it. And I took pictures of it and I printed out those pictures because times when I'm feeling overwhelmed or, or really stressed out, I look at that. I remember it and it and kind of puts things into perspective. That's barely in comparison to what David is experiencing here by gazing on the beauty of God. See, I think that in the church, Christians, believers, churchgoers, however you want to describe yourself, that we have learned very well how to put on the role of Christians. We know what to do. We know what not to do. We know what spiritual disciplines to practice. And we've probably become very good at even the spiritual conversations. Maybe fluent in Christianese, those terms, those languages, those metaphors that if you don't go to the church make no sense whatsoever. And so we know how to play this part, but let me ask you a question. How often do you spend gazing on the beauty of God? How much of your faith, your relationship with God, is spent just gazing, thinking, just being lost in how beautiful our God is? Right now, me and my family, we're in transition. We're getting ready to move into our new home. And so we're in a transition home right now. Um, and so, less space, so my four-year-old is sleeping in our bed with us. You ever sleep next to a four-year-old? <laughs> okay, someone has, and you know what I'm talking about. They have this wonderful way of sleeping in every position imaginable, except normal, that 60% of the time, he's horizontal. Many mornings I wake up and his feet are right next to my face and his head is down by my feet. And four-year-olds have this wonderful way of when they sleep, if they're sleeping next to you, have to physically be touching you throughout the entire night. So whether that is their head on your stomach, their arm over your neck, their foot on your eyeball, they're constantly touching you the entire night. And so this bed, for me and my husband, this tiny little human being has occupied the entire space. That now my husband sleeps on a mattress on the floor. This tiny little human being, this little four-year-old, has kicked out my husband. And I'll be honest, me and my husband, we often argue about who gets to sleep on the floor. Because he's taken up all this space. What do you make space for in your life? Something is always occupying space in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Is it the beauty of God? Or is it the distrust, the prejudices, the hatred, the mockery, the accusations, the fears, the worries? Because sometimes the very thing that takes up space is the emptiness of something, the absence of something, the absence of light. When it is dark, turn on the light. And so, 
I have looked at this passage so many times where he says that all he wants to do is dwell in the house of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. And we have to remember that yes, there was a temple of Jerusalem, but this was not it. The temple of Jerusalem has not yet been built. It wouldn't be built for many years, and the person who built that temple wasn't even born yet, his own son. And so this isn't the temple. So what is David referring to here when he talks about the house of the Lord and the temple of God? I remember I was uh, in transition with uh, my, I was coming out of my internship at my seminary. I was trying to figure out what was next for me, what God was calling me to do. I was praying about it. I was in earnest prayer about this. And I remember asking God, where are you calling me to next? Where am I to serve? Years ago. And I started thinking back to a time where I was in this one place of ministry that to me was one of the most intimate seasons of my life. A place where I spent hours, just night and day, just worshiping and praying. And I've talked about this before in the past. Uh, I've given up so much time in that place to just gazing upon the beauty of God. But it became very clear to me that when that season was over, that God wanted me to leave that place. And I remember in this time of prayer asking God, well, God, why would you pull me out of that place? That to me was the house of the Lord. That to me was a place where I was gazing on your beauty all the time. Isn't that the one thing that I'm supposed to desire? Why would you pluck me out of that place into somewhere new. And as I'm praying, I'm praying so fervently, I'm, I'm so heavy in my heart, I start actually crying. And then all of a sudden, I, I felt like I was hearing this still, soft whisper, a gentle thought that came to mind that reminded me of 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And I was praying, and as I was remembering this, that you and I, when we claim Christ as our king, that power of the resurrection, the power and the presence of God now dwells within us. We are the very temple of God. And so we have the ability to gaze upon his beauty anytime, anywhere. His presence is always present with us. We don't have to wait for our one specific building, one particular location, one house, one church, one temple. That anywhere, anytime, we are in that house because God is with us. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon his beauty. And so when we turn the light on in our lives, it becomes easier to see. It becomes easier to not be burdened and distracted by many other things. Because Jesus, one day, he was visiting some friends. He was visiting a family. And as he was visiting this family, he was sitting back. He was dining, teaching, as he always does. The brother was with him, and the sister was sitting at his feet, taking the posture of a disciple. In Luke chapter 10, it says this. Starting with verse 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. 
Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. That this passage that we often use to talk about priorities and recognition of God, and Mary has found the one thing, that the light had entered her home. Now, Mary and Martha lived in the same reality. They were in the same situation, the same circumstance. It's not like they were in completely different situations. Mary also had the rabbi in her house. Mary also had to feed and also had to serve as a hostess with her sister, Bertha. But she had found the one thing. She knew that the presence of God was in her home. She knew that the light had entered her home. And she wanted to gaze upon that beauty, to sit and learn and listen, and to keep her focus on that one thing. And so she was not distracted. She was not burdened. She was not weighed down by all the many realities that were circling around her. When it is dark, turn the light on. And so this passage begins with David. And the very first thing he says is, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? And he speaks about turning the light on for himself. But what I think is so beautiful about this passage, multiple things that are so beautiful about this passage, is that by the time we get to the end of this psalm, in verse 14, his words are to you, to me, to whoever is privileged to read his words that says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The pronouns shift from himself, the singular, to the other, speaking first to himself about the light for himself and then talking to someone else because when you turn the light on, it becomes so much easier then to turn light on for others. But you cannot spread, you cannot share what you don't have for yourself. If you are subscribed to our emails or if you follow our social media, this past week our team leaders reminded us of the words from um, our pastor boy that said, spread the light, right? Some of you, I hope that you got that email or, or saw that on our Facebook, spread the light. But you can't do that if you haven't turned the light on for yourself first. When it is dark, turn on the light. Because darkness will always flee from the light. That darkness is just the absence of light. And so, how do we do these things? Some of you might be sitting there thinking, okay, how do I gaze upon the beauty? How do I turn the light on? And let me tell you this, the way that you turn the light on for yourself and the way that you gaze upon the beauty of God, if you look at the person next to you, I can almost guarantee it's gonna be different for that person and for you. Because God knows you so uniquely. He shaped you so originally that the way that the light is turned on for you and the way that you gaze upon the beauty is supposed to be unique and personal and special. And so here are just a couple ways that you could do it, but please try and find out ways for yourself for me. I have grown up in the church, and as I said, fear is my valley. And I have learned how to turn on the light, not by simply telling myself, don't be afraid, but part of turning on the light for me 
is the journey of turning on the light, of, of the journey of seeking out community, of going to people I trust, letting them know the things I'm afraid of. It's about going for another round of counseling. But it's also finding the, the passages, the scriptures, the ones that have been highlighted, the ones where I've read them, and I don't know if you've ever read the Bible and all of a sudden it's taken on a life and it almost seems like it's reading out loud to you. For me, that's like John chapter five, Song of Solomon, those passages that when I read them, it's such an intimate moment between me and God. To find those passages, to find those scriptures. Now maybe for you, it's worship. Maybe it's worship songs. Maybe it's finding that worship song that seems like it's the very cry of your own soul and your own heart. Maybe for you, it's nature. When you see the sunrise, the sunset, the ocean, you're reminded of the majesty of God. I think that's innate within us. That within all of us, God has planted something that just yearns and longs for the glory and majesty of something royal, of something bigger, something grander than ourselves. Maybe it's scripture, maybe it's worship, maybe it's studying. Maybe it's a time with your family when you're reminded that the way that you love the people around you is just a small little fraction of how deeply you are loved. These are all just a number of different ways. But turn the light on. I myself have made a rule that I don't even read headlines anymore, let alone the whole article, until I read scripture. Why? Because reading the news in the dark and reading the news in the light are two very different experiences. And I know that the darkness will flee from the light, and I know that the glory of, the God, of God is my light, and I don't have to be afraid. So I want to close with this. I would want to read from Revelation chapter 4. And the reason why I want to read this is because this is one of the things that helps me also when it seems very dark. Is I remember who our God is that sits on his throne. That right now it seems like there's kingdoms of the earth that seem against each other. And again, I'm not concerned right now about what party or camp you're a part of. But God is on his throne right now. And God is our light and whom shall we be afraid of? So I would invite you to close your eyes as I read these words and I remind us about our God in heaven. After this I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. I'm gonna stand for this. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God and before the throne there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal and around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature like a lion the second living creature like an ox the third living creature with the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Lord, you are on your throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Of whom shall we fear? That you are our light, our strong, our salvation, our stronghold. Right now, Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind who you are, that we would remember your glory, your majesty, your power, your light, the beauty of God. Lord, right now our, our country is going through a lot of pain. A lot of us, we are tearing apart the very body of Jesus in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for unity, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Lord, as we turn our hearts back to you and as we pour our devotion to you and as we love on you, may that love be contagious. May we spread that love. May we spread that light. Would you bring healing to our land, God? Would we humble ourselves, turn from our wicked ways, and would you heal our land? And Lord, the hatred and the anger and the mockery that has built up, that darkness that has built up in our hearts towards the other, Lord, may we turn the light on. May your light fill our being. May your light fill our church. May your light fill our city. May your light fill our state. May your light fill our country. Would you bring healing? Would you pour out wisdom on each of us? Would you help us to see the other side? Would you help us to value the other side? Would you help us to turn the light on, not just for ourselves, but for the other? Let us remember that you are the light and our salvation. Lord, any, any separation of families that have happened because of this past year and because of this past week, we plead the blood of Jesus and we pray for healing, for reconciliation. Would you turn the light on in our lives? May we remember you sitting on your throne, the emerald, the rainbow, the jewels, the thunder, the lightning, the sea of glass, to gaze upon your beauty. And so that when we see the other person, when we see the other side, we would be able to see clearly with the light on. Someone uniquely formed, shaped by you, made in your image. God, yes, we pray for healing. And I pray for each of us first that the light would be turned on in our own hearts and our own minds. Come, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.